Welcome to the Stop and the Think podcast. I'm your host, Will Dole. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying, you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, today, my guest is Derek Pleggy. Derek is a husband. He's a father, host of his own podcast, the Pleggy's Pages podcast, which talks about books and reading. And to the point of our interview today, he's also the youth pastor at Lamar's Bible Church. So Derek, thank you for joining us on the Stop and the Think podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Will. Definitely excited to be on and uh, enjoy the podcast overall. So first question, Derek, and I didn't prep you for this one at all. Why are you a Huskers fan? Oh, wow. Yeah, you didn't prep prep me at all for this. Um, (laughs) I'm a Huskers fan because I'm from Nebraska. And growing up, we just loved watching Nebraska football together with the guys. And uh, that's when they had Ndamukong Sue and players like that. And it was so fun and exciting because we were in the big games and we should have beat Texas in the big 12 championship, but we lost it controversially. Um, so there was a lot of pride with that and just a lot of fun. But then I will say my love for the Huskers has gone, gone down. I'm still a fan. I'm still a fan. There's cautious optimism for the season, but I, I think it's just one of those things where I'm just going to ride with them and we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. So my enjoyment for Husker football has definitely gone down since then. Well, that's because back then they were good, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're correct in that. I will be honest. Nebraska has not been good, and hopefully they'll get better. But if we lose this weekend in Northwestern, uh, then, yeah, it's not going to be a fun year. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Mighty journalism school, Northwestern. See how Nebraska does against them in football. Hey, they're sneaky good. They they, they went to the Big Ten Championship game a couple of years ago, so this is not going to be an easy game by any means, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, tying into that, actually, your Nebraska roots, how did how'd you come to know the Lord? Yeah, that's a, that's a good segue question to this. Um, yeah, I came to faith in Christ when I was younger. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, and we, we were going to church, and so I understood the gospel at a young age. I remember having a conversation with my sister, and she just asked, hey, Derek, where are you going to go when you die? Do you really know the gospel? And so on and so forth. And that was just a really pivotal conversation, just seeing my sister take interest in my spiritual well-being. And um, my sisters are four years older and eight years older than me. So um, I, I just really respected that a lot and appreciated that. And that was really a time I felt like that was the time where I prayed to for Christ to save me and forgive me of my sins. Um, as time progressed, I was not very obedient to the Lord. And senior year was a pivotal moment for me when I was dating a um, a girl in high school that was an unbeliever. And it really caused me to think, okay, uh, how should I think about this situation? And one of my friends asked me, hey, Derek, if you say you follow Christ, but you're not going to obey him in this area of your life, then it seems like it's a contradiction. And it really struck me. It was really convicting. It's good to have those friends who are willing to tell you uh, the things that you're doing is wrong and you need to get better in it or fix this or think about it. And that was a big moment for me. And so 
I decided to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to try to be obedient to the Lord. And and I ended that relationship. And then right around that time, uh, I finally was paying attention to a Sunday sermon in which it was first John chapter two, 15 through 17, talking about, you can't love the world and love the father. Mm-hmm. Um, if you love the world, then, then you, you can't declare that you love God. And I feel like I was loving the world and God, which obviously you can't. And so that was a really pivotal message as well in my life where, I really said, okay, I want to be obedient to Christ. Like, I really believe that I'm, I'm saved. I know the gospel and, and I've repented, but, but it's so much more of, of continuing to be obedient, not for my salvation, but, but the fruit of my salvation in Christ. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a little snapshot of how I came to faith in Christ. And so from that point in time, like, did you just instantly know, okay, wow. Uh, God got a hold of my life here in high school. So I'm probably going to want to be a youth pastor. Was there some kind of a, a, a journey that led you into, into that calling? Absolutely. There was a, a big journey. I went to college at Liberty University. It is a large Christian uh, university. And I didn't know what major I wanted to go into, but I decided for some reason, I don't know why, to go into uh, worship and music ministry. The reason why I did that is because I liked playing on the worship band. Uh, I played drums for five, six years on the worship band back home at church. And I thought, you know what? Maybe this would be fun. Let's just check it out and let's let's see what happens. And so I enjoyed that. Uh, I only did it for two years and then I switched my major to youth ministry. But before that, what really drew me to youth ministry was um, working at a camp in Western Nebraska called Camp Rock. Now, don't get confused with Camp Rock and Disney. I know they have their own thing there. Uh, It's different. But I was able to speak out there for a summer. And then I went and worked as a counselor there for uh, two years. And I really felt like that was the time where the Lord really uh, led me to say, hey, you know what? I I want you to be a part of youth ministry. I I mean, I just I fell in love with being with students um, 24-7 at camp. Uh, Well, not 24-7, I guess, uh, for five days, you know, 24 hours for those five days and um, just being able to articulate biblical truths. And I made it a goal to talk to each student I had about the gospel and really see where they were at. And and I feel like that passion just started to continue to grow. And so going into my junior year of college, I decided to say, okay, I'm going to switch majors to church ministries, youth ministry, and see where that goes. And in the beginning, I was thinking to myself, ah, is this really for me? I don't know. But then I felt more confident in it. I had more opportunities. The professors really started to see that, yeah, Derek, you could really do this. And that just helped fuel the fire for youth ministry. So looking back in my life, I never would have thought I would have been a youth pastor by any means. But it's cool to just to see how the Lord changes the trajectory of our lives. And, and uh, being able to serve in youth ministry has been such a joy and a blessing. What was uh, something from your education there at Liberty that's been particularly useful to you as you've been serving as a youth pastor? I would say at Liberty University, within that ministry degree, they really got to the philosophical uh, perspective of ministry. So how do you do events? How do you strategically plan your teaching series? How do you think about mission trips and so on and so forth? And so I feel like I was just able to be bombarded with all these ideas that helped me to implement some of those going forth. Hmm. Now, what I missed out a little bit, and this wasn't Liberty's fault, it was I started a little bit later, so I didn't get the extra elective Bible classes. 
that I didn't get as much theological training as I would have liked. But Liberty University with that degree really helped prepare me for all these different ideas that I could have and try to implement them. Uh, and I think they did a good job as well, just being real that youth ministry is not just fun and games. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But I was really appreciative to hear various youth pastors come in and just talk about the struggles. And so it kind of helped us not to leave the university thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be super easy. Mm-hmm. It helped us to know, hey, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be difficulties. You're going to deal with these situations. And nonetheless, you need to be able to understand and learn uh, how to be able to handle them in a biblical way. Right. So, so like kind of a lot of the nuts and bolts stuff is what it, you're saying. It was it's helpful. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So to kind of pivot a little bit here in the conversation, what is your primary goal as a youth pastor? Yeah, as a youth pastor, to boil it down very simply, my goal is for one, students to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and two, for those who are believers to grow in their relationship uh, with Christ. I I think about Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, I believe. It talks about walking um, worthy, um, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, and specifically growing in the knowledge and also bearing much fruit. And so that's what I love to see in students' lives. Um, I think about um, just youth ministry success today is seen and just church ministry success, I guess, is seen as, you know, how many students do you have coming to your ministry and, um, you know, what big, huge events are you doing and drawing people in and so on and so forth. And some of those things are really good. Like I, I I must say, like when I go to a youth conference, uh, the first thing that I, (laughs) um, never enjoy hearing from others is, you know, when I introduce myself or they introduce themselves and they're like, yeah, my name is this. And I have 50 people coming to my youth ministry. I have a hundred people coming, And and so it's almost like there's kind of this competition level of, you know, just get students to come, get students to come. But we know that's not how we should gauge our ministry success. Ministry success really should be gauged as, you know, how, how is the spiritual development? Is there spiritual development taking place in the lives of these students? So are they coming to faith in Christ and are they growing? And so my, my big goal in youth ministry is for that to take place, the edification of believers. Now, on top of that, it can go, uh, it, it can be broader in the sense of I'd love to see us as a youth ministry train up pastors, elders, deacons, missionaries, um, right? I, w- I would love to be able to see that taking place as well within the ministry. Uh, but I also want students to understand that no matter what profession you go in, right, you should seek to honor and please the Lord. And so we really want to try to make that connection of of faith isn't something separate compared to your life. Your your faith should should cultivate everything that you do and and really determine the things that you do and the way that you live and so on and so forth. So we really want students to be able to connect well with that. So uh, I know that's maybe a longer answer with that, but, but in essence, we really want to see students come to faith and grow in their faith. Yeah. No, that, that's great. I was thinking about, uh, as you're talking there, I just read a, a quote from Dallas Willard, the late philosopher. I, I think he was at USC and he said, we shouldn't count Christian disciples. We should weigh them. Mm. And uh, you're quoting there Colossians one, and I pulled up Colossians one twenty eight, uh, the end of that chapter. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mm. For th- I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So, so yeah, yeah. that's that's fantastic. I, I love your heart for seeing kids get matured in Christ, Derek. That's one of the things I most appreciate about you. Yeah. Um, one of the things tying into that, uh, as you talked about, 
your education, you wish you to have a little bit more theological education as part of that. And you're pursuing a master's now, which doesn't seem very in keeping with the bouncy youth pastor. We're all fun and games stereotypes. So, so how is the, the knowledge of, of scripture, theology, church history, whatever that you're getting with a, a master's degree, how is that helping equip you for ministering to young people? Yeah, I love that question. It definitely is not in line with the stereotypical youth pastor. Uh, I, th- there's a part of me that doesn't want to fit into the stereotype of a youth pastor. And, and, and what I'm thinking about is youth pastors are just seen as being these cool, uh, fun guys, girls that can relate well with others, right? You do have clear glasses. I do have clear glasses. That is true. Uh, I'm trying to relate in some degree, you know, uh, but I, yes, those are some admirable qualities to have within youth ministry. If you can't relate well with students, then youth ministry is not the place to be, right? Uh, if you're not fun to be around, then students are going to want to be around you. So those are important things. But I also just see it usually kind of just the stereotype is it usually just stops there, right? The youth pastors are cool, fun, and they know a little bit about the Bible and they'll be able to teach a little bit about it. Um, and that's about it. And so in my mind, I was just thinking, I, I don't want to, I don't want to fall into that that path because I want to be able to, to be growing as a leader exponentially, um, growing obviously in various ways, but specifically growing in my understanding and knowledge of the scriptures and the word and theological conversations and church history and so on and so forth. And so, um, I really kind of just thought to myself, I, I want to be a pastor where students say, oh yeah, I can go to my youth pastor with this question, right? I have this theological question. I have this cultural question. And I know that my youth pastor can help me with it, right? Mm-hmm. He has the ability to be able to help me understand the answer, or at least have the the ability to be able to find the answer. And so I just thought to myself, I definitely want to grow theologically and biblically. And so how do I best do that? Well, I love the the opportunity to be able to do online work. Um, I've loved being able to be a part of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. It's been great. If somebody's looking into finding a degree, online degree, I would definitely recommend that they check it out. But it's helped me become, uh, obviously, learning more in theology and so on and so forth. But it's helped me as well to become a better writer, a better reader, um, a better communicator. And I know that once this degree is done, it's not like, okay, you just arrived. It's, hey, let's continue to increase in our in our knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And so really it just filters through, I want to be the best leader possible, not, not for my glory, not that I can get a big head, but with the purpose of, okay, if I, it, it, somebody said it this way, Pastor Fred here, uh, he's a pastor here at LBC. Um, he said, and, and he's quoting somebody else as it, 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 in essence, as far as the pulpit goes, the people will go. Right. So if my biblical literacy is very low and my biblical understanding and theological understanding and depth is very low, then that's where the students are going to be more than likely. It's not a guarantee that will happen. But if we have the, the standard raised much higher, then hopefully students will continue to, to get higher and higher within their spiritual formation, if that makes sense. And so really, that was just kind of the heart and why I wanted to, to continue to increase and grow and study and learn. And I found it to be very beneficial. And by far, I'm thankful uh, to this church to encourage me to continue pursuing uh, this degree. And um, I'm thankful for even individuals who have seen great growth um, through the recent years in, in my studies. Yeah, that's, 
I wonder what your thoughts are on this. To me, that's always just like the the idea that a youth pastor is only just the person who can connect with kids. And yeah, he's got a little bit of Bible knowledge and he can help them out, but it just, it sells kids so short in what they can grasp. Like they don't, they, yes, like you said, being able to connect and relate and have fun. Like if you're not those things, you're just not going to have any relationship with the kids at all. And you won't have a voice in their life. But if you don't actually have something to say, like we, we develop that stereotype of what a youth pastor is at a time when 80% of kids leave the church as they grow up. Maybe there's a connection. You know, maybe if we will put a little bit of emphasis on the pastor part of youth pastor. <laughs> and so, yeah, anyway, I, yeah, I appreciate that, that heart that you have, Derek. And I, you, you expect a lot of, of young people. And I, th- I think that's one of the best ways that we can honor youth is, is to expect a lot of them and to give them a grown up meal, even if they're at youth group. Absolutely. And that's, I love how you bring up Colossians 128, talking about, you know, bringing them up in maturity, right? We, we want these young people to be mature, right? Mm-hmm. We want them to be mature in all facets of life and even, in, even in their faith. Right. And you, I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, 80%, um, of students, if that's the correct statistic, leaving the church. Uh, yeah, we should evaluate what are we, what are we missing? Um, I know maybe some of the next questions that we're going to get to is going to address some of that as well, but yeah, we need to stop giving, I guess the milk and we need to, we need to get to the solid food, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, just to share a fun story. Um, we had this summer, I, I got four guys together and we picked up Wayne Grudem's systematic theology mm. and we're just diving into it, you know, and, uh, there's a lot of terms that are hard to, uh, for them to pronounce. They do a great job with it, but it's just so exciting to see, wow, these are, they're, they're four freshman guys going to be sophomores who are understanding these theological concepts. And it just makes me excited because I see that maturity continuing to take place. And obviously, I mean, looking at first Corinthians chapter three, it's the Lord who brings forth the growth, mm-hmm. but it's just fun to be able to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. What, how would you speak to, uh, what's the role of the family in discipleship? I mean, you talked even in your own story, like your sister was influential in, in you coming to Christ. So what, what's the role of the family and kids growing up, walking with the Lord? Yeah, I would say family, the role of family in discipleship is so pivotal. Um, I think this is something that youth ministry maybe has gotten wrong for a generation. And let me explain that. I think a lot of parents thought, okay, the church is supposed to take care of the spiritual formation of my children, right? So if they're going to youth group, that's where they're supposed to get their spiritual formation from, right? I that's on them. I'm kind of hands off. Right. And maybe they're like, ah, eh, I don't really, eh, I'm not growing myself. So it's hard to be able to teach my son or daughter the faith and so on and so forth. So it's on the youth pastor's job. And so maybe youth ministers, not all, not all youth pastors of this, you know, for a generation or so, but, um, I, I, I wonder if youth pastors thought, okay, like I am the primary disciple maker in these kids' lives. Like it's on me. It's on the church to do that. And I, I just don't think biblically that's what we're called to do. I think biblically speaking, fathers and mothers are supposed to see themselves as the primary disciple maker in the house, in the home. Now, what role does a youth pastor play? Well, the church gets to play a part uh, and come alongside the parents and work collectively together to bring forth spiritual formation in the kids' lives. So if you just have family discipleship, that's great. 
Um, if you just have church discipleship, well, that's great, but you're missing a key component. But when they both work together, great things, I believe, happen. So unfortunately, I think a lot of fathers and mothers today within churches, if you told them, hey, you're the primary disciple maker in your kid's life, I think they're going to be shocked and be like, whoa, like what? Like this is this is a new revelation to me. What does that what does that mean? Right. I thought this was supposed to be the church's role. But in fact, no, we see that the fathers and mothers are supposed to be instructing their children in the Lord. Fathers and mothers have more influence in their kids' lives than than I do. Right. I get to spend time with students, you know, one to two hours a week. Right. Parents are with their kids all the time, every single week, and they're seeing exactly what their parents say, do, and act. And It's just so pivotal for parents to be seeing, okay, I'm supposed to be teaching my kids, my son, my daughter about the faith, right? And so that's why I believe family devotions are important. That's why I believe, okay, we're going to worship together as a family at church. Um, That's where I see there's, there's great things that can happen when you say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take my son out for a little, you know, father son date. And we're going to talk about things of the Lord, right? Unfortunately, it, it maybe would seem that conversations um, spiritual conversations within the home are just awkward and weird. And so we just don't touch them. And so now you have a generation that didn't have maybe that family discipleship. And I think maybe we are unfortunately reaping the consequences of that. And so, yeah, maybe that's that's a, a little snippet of what I, I think. I, I think, again, the family really plays a pivotal role within discipleship. Yeah, it there, there's no no question like the mom and dad are the the primary influences so i grew up with a understanding or or in kind of in circles where what you're talking about there with the family being important was emphasized even to the point almost of excluding the church from the picture where where it's not the church's job stop it's the parents job and there wasn't really seen to be much in the way of overlap. And so I wonder if you could speak to like, that doesn't make sense biblically in the sense that to be discipled is to be part of the church and, and to be growing in relationship with other brothers and sisters who are part of the congregation. So how can, can churches come alongside families and how do those things mesh? You talked about when, when the two things are both working at the same time, discipleship in the church, and discipleship in the home. What does that look like practically? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. There can be the opposite extreme of, hey, uh, we don't need the church, right? You have mom and dad, you have the family. And that's that's not a good good perspective as well, because we are to fellowship with believers. It's a good thing. Um, and so that needs to be taking place there. But yeah, how can, uh, how can we come alongside families in that process as a church? Um, I think there are definitely various ways that we can go about this. I think one, we need to communicate to parents this biblical truth that you are the primary disciple maker in your kid's life. I try to emphasize that statement often when I'm talking with parents, because I want parents to be able to to understand that and and catch that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying with using that statement, I'm trying to break down the perception and the idea that, Hey, I'm the primary disciple maker in your kid's life. Like, I don't want parents to see that. Um, I want parents to see, yes, pastor Derek is here and he's going to bring forth spiritual formation and and help to my, my son, my daughter bring forth, um, spiritual depth and and insight. But, but nonetheless, like I, I still see like, okay, I have this role with my son or daughter. So I think one, we should use that terminology and, and help parents to understand that. I think two, equipping parents is an important thing within youth ministry. Now I could maybe 
do more in this. Okay. But I know talking to parents, they don't want me to just bombard them with all these ideas. Life is so busy. And so, you know, I could send them emails and different programs and all these things that are out there, but I feel like sometimes less is more. And so this is what I've done um, personally, where when we are in our youth group season coming up fall, uh, we meet every single Wednesday night. I tell parents um, the, the days before we have Wednesday night, what exactly I'm going to be preaching on the main points, the text. And then I give them three questions to ask after youth group Mm. to hopefully spark spiritual conversations. Now I was thinking in the back of my mind recently, I was like, oh man, does anybody even really read those emails? Does anybody really even take Mm -hmm. interest? But it was so encouraging where an individual said, Hey, Derek, I love that you're doing that. Thank you. And we have great conversations after youth group. And that's just really uh, encouraged me to say, yes, somebody is reading yeah. the email and somebody yeah. is taking to heart, you know, that resource right there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think being able to um, provide parents a, a resource to some manner and degree is going to be helpful. And so hopefully even from just talking about the lesson Wednesday night can then ho- hopefully cultivate even greater conversations to be had elsewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just allowing the door to be open a little bit for spiritual conversations. Hopefully that door will continue to, to be open even more. I think another resource that can be super helpful for parents is books, um, podcasts. I think that's important as well. Uh, but even just thinking specifically, I love recommending books to parents. Uh, one book that I would highly recommend, and even for those listening, if they're wanting to get better at discipling their family, they should check out Family Discipleship by, um, I don't remember his first name, Griffin and uh, Matt Chandler. Um, Is it Adam Griffin? I think it's Adam Griffin. I think you're right. And they just give a great mm, basis for family discipleship and just so many different ideas. And I think that book could be super pivotal. I think another book um, for parents to check out and just listeners to check out is um, Intentional Father. I don't remember who the author is. I loved a lot of what he said. I will say I disliked his quotations. Okay, the quotes were fine, uh, but the source I didn't like of Richard Rohr. Uh, Richard Rohr, not not a, yeah, definitely false teacher. Like once he started quoting from him, I'm like, what are you doing? But like what he was saying was fine. Um, sorry, I'm just going off on a tangent on that book, but, uh, intentional father though, was a great book to be able to John Tyson. Yes. John Tyson. Have you read that one? No. Okay. Um, I'm glad you know these authors, um, rather than just myself. Um, but yes, he, uh, he wrote that book and he gives great ideas for, okay, how can dads effectively disciple their kids? And he just kind of gives his, his experience of, of that. And, um, yeah, I think resources like that can really help equip parents as well. I know not all parents are readers though. And so I think podcast, finding podcasts and sending it to parents can also be beneficial blog articles. Um, but yes, I want to equip them as much as possible, but I don't want to overwhelm them, you know? So I think trying to, um, strike a balance of what is going to be most helpful to parents is very key. So those, those are a couple of things that I would try to implement and have implemented when it comes to the church coming alongside the family. And as well, I will say this, um, I think as well, affirming to parents that, Hey, I'm on your team and I'm going to affirm, you know, what you, what you say and what you, what you're trying to implement within the home is also a key thing. Um, so I don't, I don't want parents to think, Oh, well, pastor Derek's just going to tell them the opposite of, of what's, I'm trying to convey to them. Like I want to kind of, I want to affirm to students, Hey, honor your father and mother, obey your parents and so on and so forth. Yeah. I remember, uh, when I was in high school, 
one of the most impactful conversations I had was with uh, my youth pastor and I had attended youth group. Uh, I wasn't allowed to by my parents, uh, but I was house sitting for my grandparents so I could pretty much do whatever I wanted. And I showed up at youth group and he pulled me aside afterwards. And he's like, Hey, well, I'm glad you're here. Your folks know you're here. No, don't come back until they are okay with it. And was, I mean, <laughs> he's was totally uh, supportive of, of them being the parent and honoring father and mother. And yeah, that's a conversation that stuck with me. Um, one other thing, and maybe I get you to talk about this a little bit. We don't have a ton of time left, but uh, I remember when we were over there, you were, you kind of had a, a little bit of a program going to connect kids if they were interested with relationships with older folks in the church. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, statistics would show from different resources that if kids are connected with five people within the church, that is going to be monumental for them as they go off to college and so on and so forth. And so uh, obviously, have parents, youth pastor, life group leaders within youth ministry, but we wanted to give another opportunity for students to be personally discipled by somebody they looked up to within the church. And so every spring semester, we tell students, hey, if you want to uh, commit to being a part of a one-on-one -on -one discipleship program where you get to request specifically who you want to be discipled by, I would then go and approach that individual. So if so-and-so put John Smith down, Okay, they want to be discipled by John Smith within the church. I would go to John and say, hey, John, so-and-so put you down for a discipleship. Would you be willing to commit eight weeks to meeting with that student? And they can say yes or no. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the people were gracious and said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. And so for the past three years, we've had 15, 20 students each year be a part of a one-on-one -on -one discipleship where they're walking through scripture together with an individual that they look up to. And it doesn't mm. just have to be someone within the youth ministry. And so some people are saying, Hey, I want to be discipled by the lead pastor. Some people are saying, Hey, I want to be discipled by, um, by my dad. Um, some, some students put their mm. dad down and that was really great to see that. Yeah. And, and so, uh, it's such a joy for me as a pastor to, in some ways, equip the saints as, Hey church, if you want to invest in the next generation, here's a practical opportunity. And more times than not, they are super excited. And so, I get to see ministry is being done. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing admin stuff and I do have discipleships with students who request to, to be a part with me, which is fun and great. Um, but it's great just to know, okay, this week, 15 meetings are taking place with students and these adults. So mm -hmm. I've found it to be super beneficial. And uh, again, it's as well, just cultivating a culture of discipleship. Like mm -hmm. we, we want discipleship to be a normal thing within student ministry and within these students. Yeah. And I, I think one of the other things that it provides an opportunity for that you touched on a little bit is the integration of the young people into the life of the church. I mean, I think one of the potential pitfalls for youth ministry, even if it's being well done, is it can kind of become segmented off. But if you've got kids that are, you know, you're, you're opening up an opportunity for them to be discipled by others in the church and they're, then they're more viewing themselves as a part of the church as a whole, not just as a part of this particular ministry of the church. So I think that's a, a super cool thing you're doing there. Um, we're running out of time, Derek. I thank you for, for spending this time together. Uh, and I'm, I hope it's as helpful to those who listen as it's been to me. I, I just enjoy these conversations. Maybe as we close, just tell people a little bit about your, your podcast and uh, what could they expect if they were to go listen to your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So the Pluggies Pages podcast, as you alluded to earlier, is about books and reading. And um, this 
idea stemmed from you also must be a uh, graduate of an attendee of a baptist school it's ppp it's all alliterated <laughs> yeah you know i i wanted something that would maybe click and i don't know something catchy i guess right yeah yeah uh yeah the pleggies pages podcast yeah uh so yeah this really stemmed from i i did a, a blog called the pleggies pages uh pleggies pages blog doesn't sound as good as the podcast That's true. Uh, but i i just gave a short summary of the books that i was reading and then would would post that and it was great but i kind of just got burnt out and so i've always had a desire to want to do a podcast but before you ever do a podcast uh, people would say, Hey, you need to have a great topic that you can talk about for at least 20 episodes in the back of my mind. I'm like, what, what would I be able to do? Right. That I'd have 20 episodes worth of content. And then I just thought, wow, like what if I take the blog idea to the podcast idea, morph it, change it, so on and so forth. And so really in essence, what people can expect is I give book reviews, very brief book reviews of books that I found to be very insightful and impacting. And so one of the best ways to find great books is to hear what other people are reading. So hopefully some people um, will find, oh, wow, like I want to, I want to learn about this book. Like I'm uh, coming out with an episode on the post postmodern Pilgrim's Progress book written by Kyle Mann and Joel Berry. And um, most people probably haven't heard of that book yet. And so I'll give a little brief synopsis of it, overview of it. Uh, I also um, have interviews with people and I'm thankful for your recent interview with me on the podcast. And um, we just, I talked to individuals about what are you reading? What are your reading habits? Do you have any tips to become a reader and anything books related? And uh, as well, I'm hoping to give tips when it comes to reading. And so I've done an episode on, you know, three tips on how to remember what you read. And hopefully in the future, I want to talk about how to speed read or how do you even find great books? Should Christians read um, non-Christian literature and just bring up different topics and tips and so on and so forth. So yeah, you can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and uh, would love for some of your listeners to check it out. Yeah, they should. It's it's good. And if you like books, it's it's got interesting and helpful things to say. So uh, thank you again, Derek, for taking the time, praying for you and your ministry. Appreciate everything that you're doing over there. And this has been the Stopping to Think podcast. I am your host, Will Dole. Thank you for listening. A world full of truth Where folks gather around Pictures that move Their thoughts dance in place To the bohemian groove